Hi, Sarah. This week's interview. This yes. Was, this was fun, actually. This uh, is super fun. Okay, I'm going to throw a term at you. Halloween Hornets. Oh, yes. Love it. Halloween uh, Hornets. Instead, uh, it, it, I, didn't, I didn't buy. She, she tried to say involuntary manslaughter Hornets, but I right. still think they do it by, on purpose. So I don't know if that works. Uh, Halloween Hornet. I got instead of, yeah, so we're talking to our, our contact with Purdue Entomology this week, Dr. Gwen Pearson, and she is really trying to discourage that whole Asian murder hornets, which is really just a really scary term for those Asian giant hornets. And Dr. Pearson is trying to really push this Halloween hornets, and I totally agree with her. They're large. They're bigger than our cicada killers that we have, but they have a really distinct color scheme and she talks a lot about these um, introduced, does she call them introduced species? Yes, introduced species, mm -hmm. where uh, sometimes that's an evasive and sometimes it's not. But she mentioned introduced species, but she uh, really gave us a, a, did a lot of ex explaining about the, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to say Halloween hornet. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to use her, term, her terms here. And uh, it, it, she did a, a really good job explaining that. And we a few yes. tangents here, there talking about some different background. And uh, I, I gotta be honest, I thought they were a lot bigger deal right now than they, than, than they are. I, think I, so I assumed too. we had lost like a third of the U.S.'s uh, mm -hmm. honeybees because of these buggers. And she's telling me that we've lost one, uh, one hive. One hive. Uh, right. That's been documented as of the time we recorded here. And mm -hmm. so it's, there, it's, uh, apparently, I think the whole murder hornet thing uh, allowed her to get more hype. I love the fact that she sets it straight. That it's mm -hmm. definitely a person who knows what they're talking about. This is we definitely got lucky being able to find her and have her explain this to us. Absolutely. Well, joining us today for Superheroes of Science, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Gwen Pearson. Gwen runs the Human Insect Interaction Lab for Purdue Entomology. And we want today, I guess we're going to ask you to tell something about Asian giant hornets. Yes, yes. And thank you very much for not using the name that the media usually uses, which is murder hornet. Um, personally, I think they should at best be involuntary manslaughter hornets um, because <laughs> they, they're, they're really not. I mean, it is very true. They are from Asia. So this is an introduced species in the United States. and a lot of what makes them really interesting to me is not the fact that they're the largest hornet in the world, which is interesting, um, or that they do have a lot of venom and their venom really has a punch to it, um, but that they are a great example of all of the ways that we control invasive species in the United States. And so as a model case study, they're fantastic. But they are an invasive species, right? They are. So, so there's there's introduced species and there's invasive species, um, and and a lot of what this, a lot of what I'll talk about, you'll hear me talk about is there's there's very technical terms that specialists use, and then there's the language that the rest of us use. Um, and so, because scientists really do have their own language to talk about things. Um, and so one approach to learning science is to think about it like learning a new language. And so a lot of times when scientists use certain words, we mean a very, very specific thing. Like, so, so Vespa mandarina is the Latin name for this specific species of insect. Um, but if I said that to somebody standing out on the curb, they just look at me like, 
isn't a Vespa a scooter? Uh, um, <laughs> uh, and so, so when we talk about invasive species, we mean things that have been introduced. So they're not living in their regular home range. So the place where we would expect to find them. For this particular species, our home range is mostly Japan and Korea, um, but they have spread or at least been detected across several different parts of Asia. Um, and they are definitely not supposed to be in Washington State and Canada, um, but we found some there. And it's just such a neat, one of the biggest things that we do as entomologists is we answer the same question over and over. And the same question is, what is this bug? <laughs> and so this, this story of murder hornets starts the same way that all entomological stories did, which is somebody emailed and said, I found a weird bug, what is it? I mean, I get about 20, I found a weird bug, what is it, emails every day. Um, yeah. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, because think about all of the stuff that we move around the globe every day. Look at the tags on your clothing. Look at where things are being manufactured. Um, some of, sometimes from different parts of the United States. So we have animals that we have moved around inadvertently within the United States. These animals might be native to California, but now we find them in the Midwest, for example. Um, but then there's things that come from even farther places. And I think one of the, the things a lot of people might not realize, we already have a bunch of invasive wasps. So oh. we have um, the European wasp, uh, the um, Vespula germanica. So that was introduced in the United States in 1891. 18? So, 1891. So, oh. so for as long as humans have been moving around, I mean, what do we do? We take all our favorite stuff with us when we move. And sometimes our favorite stuff includes animals we like to eat, okay, like chickens and cows, um, and honeybees. So honeybees are also an introduced species. Yeah. Um, they are not native to the United States. Um, but we also will take things like potted plants and there might be something in the soil. Um, so a lot of these are accidental introductions and it's just people moving trade and goods all over the world. Um, no. we have, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I know my husband, um, where he works, sometimes they'll get shipments in from different parts of the world. And I just remember him telling me one day, everyone was just really upset and like nobody was going back to wherever this shipment came in because there were these gigantic spiders just, they were all in this crate and it was yep. this enormous like piece of machinery or whatever had come in and nobody would get it. And my husband was like, I thought, oh, I'll go back there. They can't, that big. he goes, they were big. <laughs> Well, I mean, and part of the thing also is that's really changed. So, so we've had these introductions for a really long time. Um, the thing that's really changed, like, so, so the European paper wasp, we also have paper wasps here that are introduced. Um, they came over in the 70s. But it wasn't the same as what happened when this wasp arrived. And the difference is now we have YouTube and the World Wide Web and all sorts of other places. So right now there's a, you know, you, you could in the past have read a paper newspaper that said, oh my gosh, there's spiders, but mm -hmm. not that many people would get excited. And now um, you will get all sorts of, it shows up everywhere. It shows up on your comedy shows. It shows up 
on YouTube, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, and also everyone can publish it. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's not always the best information. Um, and to be fair, they are big, scary wasps. I mean, nobody wants to get stung. It's not fun. Um, I work with beehives. It is not my favorite thing to get stung, but it happens sometimes. Um, and for some people, it is a legitimate, really life-threatening thing. If you are allergic to bees or you are allergic to wasps, that is a life-threatening thing to be stung. So, so it's, it's totally legit that people are concerned about this. Um, but <laughs> so far, we've had a t not a lot found. And the, the thing that I think is really exciting is that our system is working. So one of the things, I mean, a lot of people have never even heard of entomologists. Um, a lot of people don't know what that is. It's, it's folks that study insects. But there's a whole huge number of entomologists. What we work in is what's called regulatory entomology. And so what we do is when that giant container comes in off a boat, um, off of a train, off of an airplane, um, there is somebody there that inspects it. So something like cut flowers, if you buy roses on Valentine's Day, they didn't grow those in Indiana. <laughs> those are mostly coming from South America. And so our concern is as people who protect agriculture, are there pests on these imported plants, imported um, soil? Like if we bring in potted soil, could there be a soil pest? So everything goes through an inspection. Uh, and if you have gone flown internationally, when you got off the plane to come back to the United States, they, they pawed right through your suitcase. And what they were looking for was fruit and meat um, or anything that could potentially be carrying a pest. So, so what about the, the case where, where Sarah mentioned the machinery that came in that was infested with huge, apparently huge spiders? And if her husband says they're huge, they must have been because he's one of the biggest people. In so the, the real question is, you know, where did the box come from? So mm -hmm. if it came on a truck, um, those are, are inspected primarily for, not for insects, <laughs> but for other forms of illicit material. Um, and so if it crossed the border on a, on a container truck, um, those are not inspected as much, but also the number of inspectors, if you think about how many places our borders are open and how much stuff is moving, there's no way we can catch oh, it all. Right. There's just no way we can catch it all. And so part of that is, so there are places where, like, so at all the major port cities, um, places that are major, hubs like Georgia, um, that's where those folks are really concentrated. Um, but yeah, the other part of it is we rely on citizens to call us and say, I found a weird bug, I found a weird spider. Um, <laughs> and that's part of what in Purdue, that is part of our charge as part of the state government. And we are partially funded through the Department of Agriculture as well. And that's part of our job is to take those phone calls and go, wow, let's see what you got. And in this case, Somebody called, so it was in, in 2019, this guy went out to walk his dog and found this gigantic, I mean, they, they can get up to two inches long. Um, so found this gigantic wasp and was like, that is not supposed to be here. And so took a picture, sent it to the ag agent in his region. And then it went basically exactly right up the food chain. So this, 
the local person called the state person, the state person mobilized, and then the state person called the feds. Um, and we have our own internal reporting systems. Uh, and so that very quickly allowed us to respond and investigate and find resources to try and eradicate it. And that's ultimately what happened um, is they were able to, it, and honestly, the story of how they found the, the first hive is pretty entertaining. They tried a lot of things. So they tried putting a radio tracker on a worker um, and it flew so fast, the first one they lost. Like they followed it for about 300 yards and then it was just like, gone. Um, so then they tried smaller radio trackers that could go farther. Uh, and eventually they did track down the hive. They were able to get funding again through state and federal levels to get special suits. One of the problems and one of the things that does make this hornet scary is that it has a longer stinger than a honeybee. Um, so if you're wearing a bee suit, like I wear a bee suit when I work with honeybee hives, um, they can sting right through that. Uh, and uh, I should say, uh, hornets can sting through that. The other thing is we're used to honeybees that sting once and then they die. Um, wasps do not do that. Um, so these wasps can sting repeatedly. And because they are big, they have a bigger punch of venom that you're gonna get. Uh, and so a sting from them is much more concerning than it would be from- How um, concerning? For a person that's not allergic necessarily, but definitely doesn't want to get stung. Um, yeah. how it's not gonna be a good time. So you will say a very bad word. Um, and you will probably feel pretty miserable around that site because it will definitely poof up. If you get one sting and you're not allergic, you're you're gonna feel crummy, but you'll be fine. Um, what the people who so they're the estimated in Japan, an estimated 30 people a year do die from being stung. Um, but it's important to remember they occur in much bigger numbers there. Yeah. Uh, and, and also that they have a very specific place. Like if you're in a specific habitat, um, then you are more likely to encounter these bees. Uh, and some of the folks that get stung are people who are beekeepers because these, these um, wasps ultimately prey on bees. Uh, and so they're not, if they are murdering anything, it's bees. <laughs> it's not people. <laughs> Which, um, so, that, I mean, yeah. that sounds detrimental because it's, I mean, it, we hear that about, and I don't know the, how legitimate the, because I mean, I get all my news from social media like everybody else. Um, so, <laughs> but it seems like there's a pollinator crisis where there's not as many pollinators around. And, and so it seems kind of serious if something has, is a, an invasive species that's come here now who could be detrimental to the pollinators right. that we're desperately need. And so what, what kind of impact will, could, might, are we expecting and all of those words? That's been a focus of a lot of research. So there's there's a couple of different things that are that our scientists are working on. Um, one of the neatest, I think, because I'm a nerd, what can I say? Um, one of the first really cool things they did was they've tried to figure out where did these wasps come from? Because if something has escaped our border surveillance, then it came in, how did, how did it come in? And then where did it come from? Um, and so, because we had all of these specimens, we were able to 
make a genetic profile of them with their DNA, and then go back to specimens from Korea and Japan and compare them and see how related they were. Um, and that was cool. The bad news is we've had multiple introductions at this point. Um, so the two main places where we found these, one in Canada and one in the United States, they're separate introductions. Oh, way to build up my excitement and then slap me down. Man, that's Sarah's job usually. Well, the, <laughs> the, the other cool thing, though, is that we still don't really know for sure how they got here. Um, but there's a couple of interest. I mean, one of the more interesting theories is that they were deliberately imported for eating. So cool. these are, I mean, one of the things you have to recognize is the world has different cuisines. And in Japan, Korea, these China as well. These animals are delicious, um, and and I've definitely had bee pupae, and they're so good. They're really good. And so bees and wasps are commonly eaten all around the world, except for the United States, because for whatever reason we decided we don't like it. Um, <laughs> but pretty much everywhere else you go, um, folks eat things. And so one theory is that these were imported um, to to become food and they because we have intercepted live packages of uh, larvae and pupae for the species. Um, again, that's our surveillance ports, right? So we have caught people trying to mail these things um, and, the, and then the animals were caught and destroyed. Um, so it's possible that we missed a package because there's a lot of packages um, or it's also possible that it just a mated queen got caught in a container somewhere, came out, since so she was already mated, she could go establish herself. Um, so that's that's one of those places that we're still working on. And then here, um, so one of the other things that we're interested in is how much inbreeding there is. Because when you have a species that arrives in a new place, typically it's very has very limited genetic material. It, so there's gonna be inbreeding and we don't really know um, how, how that changes anything about this wasp. Now, I, I wanted to ask, because I've heard you say a couple of times now, I mean, we, we've talked about the hornets, and then I've also heard you reference wasps, and I don't know. Are that's a great question, and that's kind of what I mean about the specialized language. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so as, like, regular non-entomological folks, hornets, wasps, um, those are used kind of interchangeably. Um, and that's kind of the way I'm using them too. They're, they do have very specific meanings um, and they are related to the taxonomy. So how we classify different organisms. Um, but ultimately all wasps are related to each other. Um, and the kind of amazing thing there, I think the last time I checked, there were about 30,000 different kinds of wasps in the world, which is a lot. Oh, wow. And here's the really wild thing. Only about 3% of them, so only about 1,000 species or so, are social. The vast majority of wasps are solitary. And that's true of bees as well. So we have all these so, so many bee species, and only really only two or three, just a couple of them are social. It's very rare for social behavior to happen in this particular group. Um, and the, the other thing, if you think about bees and wasps, um, wasps are predators or carnivores, and bees are basically vegetarians. 
So bees are wasps that decided to become vegetarians and collect pollen and nectar. <laughs> oh, that is very I, helpful. I did not realize we had carnivores and herbivores. Yeah, so, so all that's one way to think about the division. I mean, obviously, we, for, for bug nerds, we have a lot more things that we count, but that's one easy way to kind of separate those two groups. Um, and so the wasps that you're most likely to see, especially here in Indiana, are solitary wasps that are predators on caterpillars, that are predators on crickets, um, that just quietly kind of do their thing, um, like a potter wasp um, or a grass wasp. Um, those are normal wasps. They are extremely docile. They're not defensive at all, unless you come right up to their nest and bang on it. And even then they'll just kind of buzz you. Um, so, so most wasps are not social uh, and they just, do their own thing. It's like a, a single mom. Uh, and for social animals, which would be honeybees, bumblebees, and the social wasps, um, in that case, yeah, you have a queen and then a variety of non-breeding sort of workers. Um, and then the other super weird thing is that all the males are haploid. Um, so flash flashback to your uh, <laughs> genetics class. Oh, so um, I have to ask you to explain that. Yep. So, so normally, it, well, what we think of as humans is normal. Because in the animal kingdom, eh. um, so it, if you think about yourself, you have two copies of all your genes, right? One from your, one parent and one from the other parent. And that if you don't have that as a human, if you don't end up with two copies of your genes, it's very bad. In wasps, and for that matter, in several different insects, um, a male arises from an unfertilized egg. So it only has half the normal number of chromosomes. And it's Ooh. fine. Um, and so, so they have this super weird sex determination system that is radically different from anything that we know about in, in mammals. Because for, for humans, mammals are kind of our point of reference. Um, you know, we think about really big animals and we think about, you know, this is the way that genetics works. And when it comes to things like insects and spiders, all bets are off. It's just a totally different world. Um, so our real, when we think about, because like I said, we have multiple wasp introductions in the United States. Some of them were already here. This is a new one. Um, when we get a new species, what we're really concerned about is what happens to our native animals that were already in that ecological niche. Okay. So for the, the introduced like paper wasps, um, yeah, they do outcompete our native paper wasps a little bit. Um, in this case, we don't really have any natives that specialize in eating honeybees because honeybees aren't native either. Um, <laughs> so we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, we is know that primarily what they they go for the honeybees, or they do they also attack solitary bees? Well, we don't know. Okay, we don't know, and so that's the other real concern is if they are focusing on social bees in particular. What if they start going after bumblebees? Um, because in their native range, in, honestly, in their native range, they attack a totally different bee anyway. So we have um, the, sometimes I call it the um, European honeybee, so Apis mellifera. 
Um, and that is, that is essentially a domesticated species. I mean, it's, it is a bee that has been bred so that we can extract a lot of honey from it and also that it will tolerate us picking up their hives and moving them around. Um, and there's a second species of honeybee, um, the Asian honeybee, Apis serrana. Um, and that's the species that this particular um, hornet specializes on. And that Asian honeybee can defend itself. And you might've heard uh, or see, seen video of something called bee balls. So when the Asian honeybees are attacked by these wasps, they can basically form, they just massively jump all over them and fan their wings and they actually increase the temperature enough to cook them. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's pretty wild. That, that is cool. Um, but the problem is our bees don't know how to do that because they've never encountered this predator before. Um, and so it's pretty much gonna be carnage, slaughter. Um, because they have no defenses. And that's the real concern is we don't want this, we absolutely do not want this wasp to establish in part because yeah, it's big and scary and stings, but more than that, a huge part of our economy depends on honeybees. Mm -hmm. um, we, we need them for honey. We need them for pollination, um, wax. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of products that come out of this animal. Uh, and so, the real concern is we are, you know, you mentioned this earlier that we're having some issues with honeybees and, and for that matter, a lot of other bees. And so honeybees, their primary problem is another introduced species. <laughs> See how this is kind of layering uh. here? <laughs> because it's, it's, which is the Varroa mite. So the number one killer for honeybees globally is a little thing called a Varroa mite. And it's a mite that literally sucks out the liver of developing bees. Um, and they have a liver? I think I'm more surprised they have a liver than something that sucks it out. I, it's I mean, not a proper liver. Trust me, it's not a proper liver. Uh, okay. <laughs> but it's, like, really? I should, I should have said liver. <laughs> I mean, they, they're also, I mean, they're, well, anyway. So, so in size, the comparison, you, they're big enough that you can see them on bees. Like you can see it on, on a bee. It looks like a bee, it has a backpack. And what it really is, is a parasitic mite sucking its guts out. Um, yeah, it's really gross. So, so the problem is we have that, and that has been responsible for most of our honeybee losses because they're incredibly difficult to kill because you can't put insecticides on an insect, an right? Insect. And so right. that's not going to work. Um, and so we've had, we've really struggled to figure out. And so one of the things that Purdue has worked on is what they call um, uh, mite biters. And so, and sadly, I wanted them to be called ankle biters, but nobody listened to me. Um, so basically these are bees that have been bred through selective breeding, like we do with all domestic animals, to bite the mites and kill them. Oh. Um, and so, so we're hoping that, and so it's, it's, you can actually, it's a hygiene behavior and bees are all about hygiene, man. Honeybees are all about the hygiene. They're very clean. They're very fastidious. And so finding that trait and trying to breed for it has been one of the things that Purdue has really been working on lately. Hmm. I'm just like going off on random tangents here. 
Well, a little bit, but it's so cool. I can't stop you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we were talking about we were talking about displacing natives. Um, the the other yeah, the real, ecosystem and impact. Right. The the other real concern, um, you know, is pathogen spillover, um, and so that is a fancy way of saying if this introduced species carries diseases, maybe it will attack some of our native bees um, and wasps. And we have definitely seen that happen. So for honeybees, we've definitely had some diseases jump from honeybees to our native bumblebees, um, which is very concerning because our native bumblebees, those are the, the bee species that has really seen the biggest losses, um, mainly because a little bit actually like this particular, the, the Asian giant hornet, they have a very complex life cycle. Um, and it's, it requires, they're actually remarkably similar in terms of their life cycle because they, the queen overwinters alone in the soil. Um, in the spring, she comes out, she finds a hollow, either a, like a mouse nest or a burrow or a piece, a, a low hollow log. Um, she'll start building her nest in there and begin to lay eggs. And the queen is the only one feeding anybody until she's able to rear up some workers to help her. Um, and then by the end of the summer, the nest switches to producing reproductives. Uh, and so then future queens and drones or male bees are being produced um, more than anything else. And so at the end of the summer, that's when the queens and the males will mate. After the males have mated, they die. Uh, but the females are now fertilized queens and they will go off and dig themselves a little hole, um, usually in a forest is their preferred area and spend the winter underground. So a lot of what we're looking at for where we might be concerned about where the Asian giant hornets would go is related to where can they survive? Where can they have this full complete life cycle? Because they need some really specific things in order to be able to survive. Um, and so one of the biggest pieces it seems like is they really like forests. Um, that seems to be a place that they like. So, so for me, I live in the middle of soybean and cornfields. I'm feeling pretty good, pretty safe. Um, but so there's been a lot of work on taking what we know about this animal in its home range in the place where it normally occurs, Japan, North Korea, um, looking at the temperature ranges that it's susceptible, looking at the kinds, it really likes oak trees, for example, um, and trying to figure out, okay, where in the United States is a good place for this to set up shop. And it looks like for the most part, it's Pacific Northwest, which is where we found it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Southern Eastern United States. Um, so areas where the humidity is pretty high, um, where you don't have really extreme freezing temperatures, um, but, but it does, there is a temperature fluctuation. Um, there's lots of trees uh, and there is soil that um, can be dug in because the queen has the ability to dig um, her own hive if she can't find one that she doesn't, that she likes, that she can just take over from somebody else. Um, and so, so things like the mountains, um, the Rocky Mountains, probably not a great place for them because the soil is super sandy and rocky. Um, 
and it's just not going to have everything that they need. Um, cities, for the most part, seem to not be a place that they like. How but, devastating have they been so far? I mean, we know, okay, it has potential to right. just devastate the hunting, the economy, the economics mm-hmm. part of the, the honey, because that's a, that's a huge trade in the U.S. Right. Uh, we, we've interviewed uh, beekeeper, the, the queen beekeeper before. And uh, it's, so it's... <laughs> oh, the honeybee oh. queen? Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know who you mean now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we've, um, and so we've, and it's it's just amazing the things that they do in them to do. I'll talk about that. So I'm thinking, how big of an impact has this had so sure. far? Or is it just right now, it's all the fear of? And it's, I don't want to lose my bumblebees because I know they're the ones taking care of my yeah. flowers. <laughs> Among others. Yes. Um, so we have had one. In reported incidents of hives just being destroyed again in Washington. Um, and that was part of basically in late 2019, we just had a whole bunch of reports come in really quickly. Um, and so, yeah, so there's definitely been one report, but that's it so far. Oh. Um, and I think the other part of it is it's our system of surveillance because there's a lot of other invasive pests um, that we're keeping an eye on. And so we were able to take that system and direct it at these hornets and nab them right away so that they weren't able to spread. Um, uh, is there an app or uh, what's the process? If I find <laughs> something, I'm like, oh, it looks a lot like. Uh, what's the process of me getting that to someone like yourself who knows what the world it really is? If you are on the West Coast, you report it to the Washington Department of Agriculture and they have a really nice murder hornet page. Dang it, I used that name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here in Indiana, you can basically just report it to the DNR. Um, You can report it to us as a department, but I'll tell you, it ain't gonna be a murder hornet. I would be extremely surprised if anybody sees one here in Indiana. Um, we do have some really big wasps. Um, the most common thing that I see is the um, cicada killer wasp. That's what I'm saying. How about this? Is it bigger than a cicada killer? It is bigger than a cicada killer, yeah. Because I'm telling you, one of those get up close and my heart starts fluttering. I'm like, holy moly. <laughs> yeah, but she's just looking to see if you have cicadas on you. She, uh, yeah, but because I'm um, honestly, as far as insects are concerned, for the most part, we're just really noisy trees. If you think about, you know, from the size standpoint, um, and so it's you wouldn't like run up and start punching a tree unless the tree had done something to you. And so, for the most part, if you just don't interact um, and don't walk up to a hive and kick it, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like good advice. <laughs> you know, um, so so yeah. So the thing with cicada killers is. As long as you don't try and pet them, they're fine. They're not going to, they will cruise up and be like, what are you? Are you a cicada? Can I eat you? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I have a whole bunch of them in my yard and they're just, they're really very, very low key. Um, they well, do. I just try to talk nicely to them and tell them not that, yep. not that I'm not going to hurt them if they don't hurt me. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, and that's a lot of it. I think the other thing that's been really sad is that a lot of people, because this was really hyped up, yeah. um, 
a lot of people really increased their use of pesticides and were pretty much, you know, spray first, figure it out later. Um, and that means, a, I mean, and I would see, I would get those pictures sent to me too. Um, and almost, I mean, every single one of them was pretty much, it was a harmless bee, it was a harmless wasp, um, didn't need to be killed. Uh, so it's one of those, one of the things that fear. I really, hmm? So a side effect of this is basically the fear of the people's fear themselves, which is adding to the reduction of pollinators. That's not helping. Yeah. I mean, there, what is going on with pollinators in general? Pollinators is a big group. So it's more than just bees. I mean, it's also flies and beetles and a whole bunch of other things. And they're, they all have super different lifestyles. Um, and for most of them, it's loss of habitat that's the real issue. Um, so because if, if you look out at your yard, what, what is there out there but grass? That's, that doesn't feed a bee. A bee can't live there. Um, and so trying to get folks to think a little bit about what a yard should look like or what a park should look like. Mm -hmm. Should it be all just really shortcut green grass? which is, by the way, not a native species either. <laughs> yeah, I like that. We had the whole finger thing going on and everything. That's not a native species. <laughs> um, or, you know, or how about some nice little flowers like the ones behind me? So, so a lot of it is just kind of deciding that, hey, you know what? There's a lot of animals that are little and live around me all the time and that's okay. And if I give them space, will be fine and we can coexist. Um, there's definitely, I mean, there's, if there is a paper wasp building a nest on your porch, it's toast. It's not safe to leave it there. But if it's way out somewhere where you aren't gonna interact with it, just leave it alone. <laughs> um, and most of the time, if you're wandering around by some flowers and you see some bees and wasps, they're, they are intent on what they are doing. Um, they're not interested in you. These are all yeah. really good points. And I really like that rethinking our um, spaces, especially with concern to habitats and what sorts of things. I, I just love, I think you've given us a lot to think about as far as how we can best support, you know, these native pollinators and things that are doing a lot of good. It's so plant native flowers, not just flowers, right? Right, right. Um, I mean, there's, there's, this gets back to kind of like the whole domesticated versus wild. Um, so a lot of the flowers that you find that you can plant and, you know, buy at a big store, those have been specially bred. Um, and very often that special breeding to make a big flower means that there's less pollen, less nectar. Um, and so, so using plants that haven't been especially bread that are more native, that are, um, I mean, this, the little flowers behind me, you can see that's a tiny flower. It's still very pretty, but it's a little tiny flower for a little tiny bee. Um, and if it was one that was bred to be more commercial, I would have much bigger flowers and might not feed the little bees anymore. There's lots of <laughs> avenues. There's lots of ways of looking at things. And it's, it's the big one is it, it is, I think uh, it's the hype. That, like you said, I, I think that's the biggest thing. We hear something like a murder hornet, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. 
and uh, yeah. where's that can yeah. of spray? And yeah. uh, it's our ball bat or something. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm trying really hard to make their name be the Halloween Hornet because Halloween is scary. It's black and orange. So this is a black and orange. It's a very distinctive color scheme. And so Halloween Hornet implies, be careful. It could have a knife, um, stabby. But it also is like not quite as murdery. Yeah, it's it, Halloween <laughs> Hornet's probably better than the first where you said we shouldn't call it murder, but use the, the involuntary, involuntary manslaughter hornets. <laughs> So uh, that, <laughs> that might be a little long, maybe, but that, little might, that one might be Halloween tough to get past um, people because they, they might argue they're intentionally killing the honeybees and others. So hey, that might be hard when you, but Halloween Hornet, I think we could help propagate that. I, I think we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also helps reinforce this. This has a really distinct coloring. And if the thing you're looking at is black and yellow, it's not a Asian giant hornet. It has to be black and orange. And oh. it's a really deep orange. Um, also, it has to be enormous. But <laughs> and and the problem is when when you're afraid, things look bigger. Everything <laughs> looks big when you're scared. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> it all looks big when you're scared. But we'll do our best to uh, help propagate the Halloween Hornet name. See if we can't uh, <laughs> get, get that to catch on a little better. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, if you're out there, make sure you uh, you mentioned this week. <laughs> the, something to, about the Halloween Hornets <laughs> and uh, maybe uh, reduce some fear that goes along with everything. But, and remember, I still think my best piece of advice you gave, don't pet a Hornet. Yeah, don't. So, oh, right. That's solid advice right there. I think so. I love that we're the big noisy trees. I just, this <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about things that are extremely tiny. And right. so, yeah, it's, it's it totally changes the way that you look at the world. Um, and I kind of like it that way. <laughs> I do too. I think that's a nice perspective. <laughs>